Welcome to Hoots Holler. I'm Thomas Sally, and I'm joined today by James Hacker Hello. and Patrick Minton. Who How to do? I, I guess he wants to talk about music, but first they're going to sell me on why I should spend $60 on a game I'm not sure I'll like. Okay. Okay. Do you remember playing Division 1 with us when it came out? Oh, yeah. That was a great time. We, I mean, we sunk like 100 hours into that. It was amazing. We did sink a lot of hours into that, and Division 2 is that. But they fixed a bunch of the stuff that we didn't like about it. Like, it feels a lot less grindy to me than the first one did. And, and there's, there's an end game? There's an end game, and there's actually whoa, whoa, stuff... Whoa, hang on. <laughs> Go back to that thing that they completely didn't do the first time. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I hear there's an end game in Division 1 now, but... <laughs> now yeah, that about seven years, years later, sure. Yeah. They probably just used what they had for Division 1 in Division 2 and figured <laughs> nobody would notice. Yeah, nobody knows. All right. Well, here here's the thing, boys. I'm gonna take you back to the uh, the the steamy summer of 2000 and like nine. I don't know. When did Wrath of the Lich King drop? In World oh, of Warcraft? are we gonna talk about no, World of Warcraft? I don't want to do and that. There were some boys who said, "Come, Thomas, come, level your oh, character boy. to 70, and we'll play with I you." I need to point out to you that I was not a part of that group that lured you into World of Warcraft. I came in later. <laughs> I also need to point out to you that I played with you plenty, so that's. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it may have felt that way for you, bud. But I mean, I don't know. Is there like a, a leveling I was part of the number. Where... I was part of the of a guild that was in the top five ten man leveling guild and raiding guild in the country. See what you've done, Thomas? Uh, so this is your fault. Here we go. I wasn't going to play um, with some little scrub level scrubs. 20. Here we go. Yep. No, I, I, I mean, hell, I think I started at one. I think I was, I think I was super scrub. I think most people do start at one. I mean, not any, not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. They started at least 20. <laughs> well, no, here's my concern, though. So you guys have been playing Division 2 for like two weeks or whatever. Okay, I've been playing I Division mean, 1 for four days. There's a leveling component. Well, mm-hmm. am, am I, am I going to be left behind if I only play like one night a week and I start like tomorrow? No. It. I think it auto-levels content. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, let's see. I'm just going to... I'm just going to go on over okay, to Uplay. Cool. Yeah, and, yeah uh, I'm just going to go and download that. All right. All right, well. <laughs> and his audio quality is a great idea. His audio quality goes to garbage because he's down. <laughs> <laughs> Look, what's in the show is in the show. It's not a big deal. That is true. Oh, is this straight to hard drive? Yeah, I don't edit this shit at all. Whoop a dub dub! Copyright. Patrick's one of those guys. Got it. <laughs> That's my catchphrase. You guys like it? Yep. Here comes the Shenzhen sauce thing. So... T- Thomas, did your uh, did your Apex stuff get reset? <laughs> I quite wisely, I might add, have not logged in since the patch because I knew, <laughs> as an operations man myself, that sometimes there's some post-launch instability. <laughs> also, so you're just I just never haven't going to log in after any patch. <laughs> well, Is I that haven't. Your plan? I haven't played Apex in like three weeks, so that's kind of maybe the more overarching theme. <clears throat> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. That's not because I don't want to play Apex. I actually really do, but because of uh, circumstance, this is the first time I've been at my PC in probably two weeks. Dang. So yeah, didn't, right, didn't mean to dead end that, but <laughs> shit's busy. Yeah. Off my nuts. <sighs> time to hit the old dusty trail. <laughs> no, 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 no. You got to talk about music, bud. We actually have to have an interesting part of this podcast at some point. And that's not me and James. That's you today. 
I don't know if you guys know anything about the kind of music that I do, but I don't know that anybody's going to find it interesting. The point of this podcast is to get our friends to come on and tell us about the really niche stuff that a lot of people aren't interested in. Oh, well, have I got a show for you. <laughs> That's what makes you guys so interesting. <laughs> I mean, it's true. There's, uh, There are a lot of things that people are not interested in just because of the label on the tin, right? But when you start talking about it from a place of passion, it becomes a totally different thing. So, I mean, that's what we want to open up. Right on. Yeah, and you don't necessarily have to be interested in doing something to be interested in hearing about it. At least that's what I'm hoping. Well, I think, and uh, to go ahead and, and kick this thing off and put everybody to sleep immediately, I'm going to be talking about opera for the most part, because that's what I spend most of my time doing. Sure. Uh, but there, there's light at the end of the tunnel. There is some good news that most opera either has a body count uh, or is mostly just like trailer trash in Italian. Uh, <laughs> is it like Roman uh, WWE? Uh, no, it's more like, for the most part, it's more like, uh, it's, it's more like uh, Venetian Jerry Springer. <laughs> all right uh so if, if you want me just to dive right in the current the opera that i'm working on that we'll be performing in may is a perfect example of this let's uh let's actually get to that in a minute okay i actually i want to hear because i don't know that i've ever heard how how did you even get started doing opera uh well i actually i started as a music performance major in college uh, in the late 90s uh, as a trumpet performance guy you old i am old um i won't i won't deny that i am not a millennium um <clears throat> sorry i lost my train of thought oh uh so i started uh at tennessee tech as a trumpet performance and education guy and uh then i started dating somebody from back east and transferred to the university of tennessee uh, so i thought ah, i'll just be in the trumpet studio there no big deal but i showed up for my audition day for that and found out that i was number 240 something i think to audition out of 280 wow uh wow. trumpeters that were auditioning and i'm not talking about like for the pride of the southland like the marching band i'm just talking about to be a trumpet performance guy in at, at ut uh is that like in the orchestra uh well there's a there's a lot of else? there's a lot of different ensembles uh, that you can be in. There's jazz bands, usually. Um, UT doesn't have a jazz band, I don't think. They might now. They didn't then. Uh, there's jazz ensembles. There's wind band. There's orchestra. Uh, and there's a couple of different kinds of orchestra. There's symphony orchestra and opera orchestra, uh, which are two different things. So everybody goes to audition just like if you're any good or not, and then they put you in where you should be? Uh, there's some choice to it, so it depends on what you what your end goal is. So if you go in thinking I'm going to be a jazz guy, they're not they're not going to force you to do. They might make you do like a semester of orchestra, just so that you're a well-rounded in, uh, musician. But for the most part, you're going to be in jazz band, or you're going to be taking jazz theory and stuff like that, rather than than doing orchestral stuff. Gotcha. Huh. So, so what did you what? Uh... What group did you get put in? I didn't. Uh, I found out. 
I found out at about 9 a.m. that my audition time was at about 4 p.m. And I said, <laughs> well, forget that. Uh, there's not a chance <laughs> that they're going to let me in here. So I decided that I would just go do something else. Uh, oh. Because I, I initially transferred to UT as a broadcasting major because I you have to go through the audition process before you can actually start studying music. And I wanted to keep doing school and broadcasting was something that I was interested in. So I transferred as something that I could just do in while I was auditioning and everything. But I just decided to forget it and I would just go be a DJ or something. And hey, <laughs> as I was leaving the music building uh, with my trumpet on my back, a friend of mine that I sang in choirs with in high school said, hey, you know what? They they need tenors real bad. There's only like 10 tenors auditioning it this year and there's nine spots. So give that a shot. Maybe maybe they'll want you to sing. And so I went and kind of did a walk-on and uh, got accepted into the into the tenor one of the tenor studios at UT and started studying classical voice. So for the uneducated, what is a tenor? Tenor is the uh, <clears throat> that's a complicated answer. Uh, <laughs> A tenor is the is the generally accepted highest male voice part, and there's a if there's any music nerds, if there's any choral nerds listening to this, there probably won't be, I guess. But if there are, they're gonna at me. So let me say <laughs> that that's generally the accepted highest male voice part. There are others. There's counter tenors, which sound more like uh, boy sopranos and uh, uh, and mezzo sopranos. Um, but they're they're tenors, but they're counter tenors because they sing a lot higher than your standard tenor. Okay, so and for all the nerds that want to at you, that's uh, Ono Patrick on Twitter, I think, right? <laughs> it is. It's Patrick okay, yeah. Minton on Facebook. Go ahead and go. at me because <laughs> I mean I ain't gonna fight you, but if you want to at me, <laughs> Just so the only people us. that listen to this are our friends. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody in that group so is gonna, gonna at me. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people say they, they listen. Will. Maybe hey. they'll just at you just for. Just, just for giggles. <laughs> a lot of people say they listen to us, but if you actually do, just go ahead and at Patrick. Just uh, let yeah. us know you care. Yeah, it's a good test. I, my Twitter account <laughs> is really lonely, so if you want to get at me. There's going to uh, be some divorces if uh, Patrick doesn't get added. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, uh, so. So that, uh, that was kind of the roundabout way that I ended up studying voice. So what about opera specifically, though? That is. That's like. From a, a dude from the hollers of East Tennessee. <laughs> and we do mean the hollers. Oh, was yeah. Way out there. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm actually from a, a place called Bacchus in, uh, in East Tennessee. And I'll be honest with you. It's spelled Bacchus like the Roman god of drinking and debauchery. Bacchus. But... There is nobody. I'm sorry. Let me let me say this like I'm from back home. Ain't nobody knows what that is. <laughs> so I think probably somebody got drunk and said they grow a lot of tobacco around there and it just came out Bacchus. Or either so. that or um, it's next to a, a larger town with like a stoplight or something. And really the, the name of the town was Bacchus because it was Bacchus <laughs> other town. But when the guy said it, he was just slurring too much. It's, so. it's Bacchus Harrogate. Yeah, <laughs> that's the next town over is Harrogate. It's back at his Harrogate. That would be awesome if it was. This got weird. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> All right. So opera. How um, opera happen? Well, uh, opera is pretty much if you want to perform, 
and you're going to most colleges for a performance degree, opera is where you're going to end up uh, because it is it's considered like the highest of the highfalutin ways to sing. So if you're if you're training your voice classically, you're either going to direct a choir or something like that, or you're going to be an opera singer. And not, I mean, obviously not everybody that comes out of UT Voice is an opera singer, but that's that's kind of where they they try to guide you to. So that's what I ended up doing, and I didn't really do it much in college. I I had one role uh, in an opera called Albert Herring. Uh, but I don't think I ever actually showed up for the rehearsals, so I didn't actually, I wasn't actually in it. Um, (laughs) I didn't actually show up for it. Right. So, by the time that I left UT, I was pretty much just doing IT work, because that actually, you can actually make money. NIT <laughs> turns out you, there's you no can't. money in arts yeah. in the South. I'm shocked. Yeah, no. Surprisingly enough, there's not not that much to be had. Um, and I I didn't turn back around into opera until about 2014, uh, when I got a call from the chorus master at the Knoxville Opera Company, and he said, "Hey, I need a tenor. You want to come be in this opera called Norma?" And I said, "Yeah, sure. That sounds cool." And I've been performing in at least two shows a season with Knoxville Opera since 2014. I mean, I'm going to be honest. Uh, Knoxville doesn't even have 200,000 people in it. I'm surprised that we have a whole opera company. Like, how how big is that scene? Uh, Bigger than you think, but pretty small compared compared to cities that have, like, compared to, like, New York, where there are multiple opera companies and you've got the Metropolitan Opera. Um. But it's sizable for the size of town that Knoxville is. I mean, they, we do three shows a season, or three, yeah, three shows a season usually, uh, and they do full full operas. Um, last season we did Aida and Turindo, which are two of the largest operas to stage. They need a big chorus. They need a lot of principal actors. They need uh, a lot of extras, which in the opera scene are called supernumeraries or supers. Um and so it takes a lot of people and a lot of work to make an opera happen. And, uh, you know, luckily in Knoxville, we have the Tennessee Theater, which is a fantastic venue. Uh, it's beautiful, and um, it's actually it actually isn't built for stage shows like operas and musicals and stuff. It was mostly a, a, a movie theater until... God, I don't know when it actually started becoming more of something else, but... It, it was built as a movie theater, and the the stage and the wings are actually pretty small for for doing musicals and stuff. Anyway, you can Sorry. cut all that out, but <laughs> <laughs> nope, no man. What's in the show's in the show. There you go. So, are they all always at the Tennessee? Almost. Um, we've done a few. We've done a few that are in like exotic locations. A couple of seasons ago, we did uh, a performance of Tosca on location. Uh, which we did, we only did one performance of it, but it was in three different venues across the city. So the first, the first act of, of Tosca takes place in a cathedral. So Church Street United Methodist was kind enough to let us perform the first act in their sanctuary. 
and uh, we it's a small smallish sanctuary. So we actually did two performances of the first act back to back. Then there was a kind of a break for everybody to make their way over to the Knoxville Convention Center where we did Act Two because it takes place in a, like a ballroom situation. Uh, so we did Act 2 over there, and then Act 3 is on the parapets of a castle, and so we did it outside at the World's Fair Amphitheater. Uh, and it took... Uh, we, we started Act 1, the first performance of Act 1 at noon, and I think I left the amphitheater at 9 p.m. That is crazy. Uh, so it was an all-day event. and So people would just walk from venue to venue? Yeah. Yeah, they would cool. walk and like so between act 2 and 3 we had an hour break uh and people would just like walk to restaurants downtown and have dinner and then come back for the third act. Um and it oh the third act almost turned into a huge fiasco because we had uh it was outside it was at the amphitheater and I and at the amphitheater the audience wings are uncovered and it started storming. As soon as we know. started Act 3. And I mean, torrential downpour. The audience were under tarps. It looked like they were at a, a Gallagher show <laughs> in the splash zone. Uh, but they loved it. And we had we actually had live muskets for that scene because the tenor role uh, gets shot, gets executed. And it's supposed to be a fake execution, and the love interest, Soprano, is is going to run off with him and everybody thinks he's dead so it's cool but turns out they get double crossed and everybody the firing squad that shoots at him actually shoots him and he dies and uh all this stuff so we had live muskets black powder muskets um without a ball and of course it's pouring the rain only 3 of the 7 went off but it was still it was still pretty impressive like the you you heard audible gasps from the audience and like while he's while the tenor and the soprano are singing leading up to the execution thunder and lightning is happening like real thunder and lightning is happening and uh and then when she finds out that that her love has killed him or has been killed they've been double crossed and he's now dead for realsies she goes and throws herself off the parapet, and we had a castle parapet set built, and she actually goes and does this like 15-foot jump down onto a stump bag. Wow. And, um, and it was it was incredible. Like the uh, There were people in tears in the audience, and the audience was real close because it was at the amphitheater, so we could see them like, <laughs> I'm not crying, you're crying. It was pretty cool. That's Would you awesome. say that's been your favorite... No. So far? No. Uh no, that was not my favorite because it took nine hours to perform. Sure. Um my favorite opera that I've done is Mephistopheles, and that opera is uh, it's the Faust tale. A guy falls in love, but he's old, and so he sells his soul to the devil to be young again so he can go chase after this uh this young girl. And then of course the debt gets called in at the end of the opera. Um but the difference between Mephistopheles, which is by uh, Boito, and Faust, which I cannot remember who who composed Faust, but the show Faust, is that Mephistopheles has kind of a happy ending, whereas Faust, he just gets, I think, just gets drug off to hell. So, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay. um, but Mephistopheles had, the performance we did, uh, the chorus... There's a scene called the um, the Witch's Sabbath, 
And it's Mephistopheles taking Faust down into hell to show off, basically. So he and Faust walk into this feast, which at first makes uh, Mephistopheles look very impressive. He's got all these followers and everything, but as the as the feast goes on, you start to notice that the followers are all like kind of undead, zombie, skeleton-y looking folks. So we were all in like black cloaks and these blacklight sensitive masks and makeup. So when the when the scene really kicks off, all of the stage lights go out except for the black lights. And so we were all like our faces and hands were glowing. Uh, like skeletal faces were glowing, and uh, cool. it was it was very cool. Uh, and the the music is very ominous and gets like orgiastic, and uh, that that's been by by far my favorite just for that scene. So, what is it about performing that like attracts you to actually going back to this? Because it sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> it is a lot of work. Uh, I don't know. There's it's not like anything that I've ever that it's not like anything that I've ever done before. Like it's beyond just enjoyment. Like I enjoy playing video games and I enjoy hanging out with people and stuff like that. But there's something about creating art and especially creating it live. That is such a, such a rush because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, things go wrong all the time in live performances uh, and there's something to be said for having an audience. The audience contributes as much to the energy of a show as the performers do a lot of times. If you are performing in a comedy and the audience is just not into it and nobody's laughing, it's miserable. It's a miserable experience. But even those miserable experiences are interesting because you never know what's going to happen. How long does it take to... Um... So how long do you, from, from when you get accepted or, uh, you know, when you, like, is it get accepted? When you, when you get offered a part, I guess. <laughs> when an audition. How, yeah. How long does it take for the entire, uh, process? Like, uh, rehearsals and all that stuff. What's the lag time between start to actually putting on the opera? Uh, well, the current one that we're working on now we our first rehearsal was i am looking back at my calendar our first uh cavalleria rusticana rehearsal was march 1st and we will perform it we'll open it may 4th so it's usually a couple of months worth of of stuff going on. It's not always rehearsals, but it takes a couple of months uh, from when we start rehearsing to when we put it on. Now, the opera company plans these shows, I think, two seasons in advance. So they've already got the 2020 season, the 2021 season planning, and they've already hired, I'm sure they've already had auditions for the 2020 season and have hired those principals. Um, and have have got the Tennessee theater booked and all of that stuff. So, um, is there? So you do make money, right? You do. They they pay you pretty decently for doing <laughs> well, these. They pay us. Okay. <laughs> Are there like professional uh, level people in Knoxville, or is this? Um, is there only like one level in Knoxville, or it's what like are a the hobbyist different market? 
Yeah, I was going to say, what are the different levels of performance in Knoxville? Because uh, it well, seems there, to me like there are uh, pros. If you do there it at the pros. Tennessee, it's probably like you guys are uh, probably our top range. Is there below or above or? Uh, it, there's not like a triple A club really. Um, although in Knoxville, there is an a really interesting relationship between the UT Opera Theater and the Knoxville Opera. Um, UT Opera Theater folks will uh, can be in the chorus or sometimes have principal roles in the shows for credit at UT. So if they're doing, say, a graduate program in vocal performance, they can come and perform with the Knoxville Opera for hours towards their graduate degree. Um, okay. So they get that, and then those of us who are not in school for that get paid. Um, Roger. So the there's there's within the Knoxville Opera Theater though you I guess you could say that the levels are the chorus, which is what I've been doing for the last five years, and the principals, which are the main actors. So right. for example, the last opera we did was Lucia de Lammermoor, and Lucia is the main character, and so the lady Meryl Dominguez that played uh, Lucia was the was one of the principals. And she is not local. Uh, they hire a lot of their principals from all over, really. That was going to be my next question. Do people come here from, like, Chattanooga? Oh, further away it? than that, uh, Meryl is from New York, I think. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Um, Jinx. And a couple of seasons ago when we did Carmen, the the guy that played our Don Jose, um, Brian Chaney, was from San Francisco, I think. Uh, and then he turned around and did an opera, a Mozart opera called Escape from the Seraglio, but they staged it like it was Star Trek. And so he played the Captain Kirk role in in the San Francisco opera production of Escape from the Seraglio, but it was Star Trek. It was It's hard to explain, but it was very cool. Interesting. How much competition is there for parts in Knoxville? Uh, in Knoxville, there's a ton. Um, and not not just in for like Knoxville Opera, but there's several theater groups in town, uh, and there's a fair bit of uh, of competition for parts because there are a lot of actors and musicians in Knoxville, and not a lot of shows. Yeah. Hmm. So and and it doesn't it it doesn't help, and I understand why Knoxville Opera hires principals from all over the country because they hire from the same pool that every other opera uh, every other opera in the United States is pulling from like there are representatives and all of that stuff for opera singers just like there are for Hollywood actors and stuff like that so there's channels you have to go through to hire singers um so it's not it's not as easy as just hiring local unfortunately gotcha is there like a, you know, like there's an actors guild? Is there a uh, opera ers guild <laughs> that you have to consider, or does uh, that not apply? It's the uh, Grand Old Opry, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. It's, it's the Grand Old Opry. Uh, there is the AGMA, the American Guild of Musical Artists. I don't, I don't think that is why they don't hire local. Uh, I think there's other politics involved. I, I don't know enough about it to know for sure. Maybe but, they have to like hire a certain amount of people from that list in order to be considered it on could be. 
to be able to hire people from the list, maybe? It, it could be. And, and a lot of the folks that are trying to make a living as an opera singer, they pay to have their names listed for auditions. Um, so Interesting. You, so there is kind of a list out there that says that you give money to this organization and they say, here is all of the opera singers in the United States. It, yeah. it actually is more... It's actually more like a magazine kind of thing. You pay your money, and then you get a list of all of the auditions happening, and you can pick one and then go audition or whatever. And of course, there are some that we go back to frequently, and they we don't have them. We we don't go through that same process with them. We just call and say, "Hey, are you free to do Lucia in February of 2019?" Yeah. And so. Uh, generally speaking, do people in the opera sort of stick to opera or is it one of those things where like most of the people involved are uh, like involved in other musical or uh, fringe gigs around town? Uh, those of us that are local and most and that means mostly the chorus, we do other stuff um, like I, I've done summer. I've done musicals over the summer. The last few summers I did uh, Big River three years ago, and last summer I did Jane Eyre the Musical, and then this summer I'm doing Bright Star with the word players at the Bijou Theater. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I was at, I, I went to a Big River show, and it took you pointing that out to make me realize that that didn't really count as opera, because I'm not like... <laughs> <laughs> a Big I River mean, is about as far from opera as you can get. <laughs> I guess, yeah. but... You know, it's a musical-ish thing in a theater. Um, I, <laughs> I didn't I understand what you were saying. I thought it was Italian. <laughs> I thought it was Italian. Use more than three <laughs> syllable words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, I would kind of like to see an opera based on Huckleberry Finn. I think that would be pretty great. Well, I mean, you know, historically, operas weren't like super uppity, right? So it's not. It's it's like a modern American opera, really. That is very weird because you're not wrong. Like, especially Mozart's you later operas. Does not say the words. You're right. I, no, I, I do. Uh, okay, Thomas, <laughs> I'm glad we're recording because you're right. <laughs> uh, especially things like, for example, Mozart's later operas, like um, the Magic Flute. It was a low opera. It it is a, a Zingspiel, which was looked down upon because that literally means. Um, uh, well, it doesn't Same literally point. mean. Yeah, that's literally what it means. But yeah. it, it's it's like a it it's more like shit. a. At the time, yeah, it was plebe yeah. shit. It was performed down in the low theaters, not not like in the opera houses. It was performed in basically basically like if you watch uh, Tombstone, you know, when they're in that bar and they're they're having the dancers and stuff. That was kind of where mo- where the magic flute would have been performed. In the seventeen late seventeen or in the later part of Mozart's life, they they were low, low theater. Huh. Um, Are there so. any like uh, underground opera things being made now oh, that shit. are in English? Punk opera? And, yeah, punk opera. Is there punk opera? Lord, yes, there are tons <laughs> of modern operas. Uh, last season, Marble City did one. Marble City Opera here in town did one. Um, you're going to have to cut this out because I'm going to have to Google it. That's okay. <laughs> okay, I guess we're cutting We're cutting again. <laughs> get, get your editing glasses on, James. Patrick, you've got one edit token. <laughs> 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 Choose this one or the other one. 
well, I mean, I can keep talking, but th- there are lots of modern operas that are performed, and, uh, and I wish that I could find this real quick. Well, um, modern opera be... does is it like uh, postcards from Morocco? There it is, postcard from Morocco. So is it like electric guitars and like saxophones? Or... No, no. Well, I mean, some of them maybe. That was going to be my question. Does it have to be the traditional, like Italian and uh, you know, boom no, armor and stuff to be uh, considered an opera, or is it is that yeah, just wait, a musical? Shut at up, that idiots! Point? What the fuck <laughs> is an opera? <laughs> oh my god, Thomas! Why what do you makes ask? it an opera? Um, <laughs> the the definition of opera. God almighty. The definition of opera can literally apply to lots of things. A dramatic work in one or more acts set to music for singers and instrumentalists. Um, Opera is more about proper singing, proper classical singing. So you'll have uh, sopranos that are are doing that, what most people call screeching, uh, which I think is a disservice to those sopranos, but... But it, it's more about the classical singing and singing properly, and it, it's less about what language it's in. Uh, it's more highfalutin than musical theater. Um, and a lot you'll find a lot of the subject material is either very epic or it's weird. Whereas musical theater is pretty straightforward for the most part. You have a story, you tell the story, and you tell it with music. Okay. With opera, it's it's a little more a little more epic. And also in opera there's not any spoken, usually. It's so when, when you get into parts that would normally be spoken, like a conversation between two people, that's gonna be a duet. As opposed to in a musical theater production, you will have the music stop. And you will have those two people talk to each other for a minute, and then maybe the music will pick back up. In an opera, the whole thing is going to be music. Okay, so you're saying that Frozen is musical theater, but Rocky Horror Picture would be an opera if they didn't stop singing. It could be, yeah. And it's it's subjective, too. There's a lot of subjectivity to it. Some, some people call Les Miserables an opera because there's not really any spoken dialogue. But most people would still call it musical theater, even though it ticks all of a lot of the boxes for opera. Huh. If it's on Broadway, people are going to call it musical theater. What's the Broadway for opera? Not in the United States. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Opera houses generally in Europe... um, Verona, Venice. I mean, I, I'm not being flippant. I'm being literal. Like, the United States doesn't really have a Broadway for opera, except maybe the Met, the Metropolitan Opera. Yeah. Where's that at? New York. Right. We have a really big opera house here, but I can't remember what it's called. It's super interesting, I know. Is it <laughs> the... You're being a bad Chicago boy. I want to say it's like called the Cosmopolitan or the... I don't know. Uh, there's maybe Pier, there's one that's just called Chicago Opera Theater. Yeah, maybe. 
I don't know. Patrick's um, on point with Googling today. <laughs> uh, and there's a Chicago Opera House. The Lyric Opera Chicago is the, uh, the company Lyric, that operates out there. I think is the one that so. I've walked by a bunch of times. It's humongous. It's like an arena. Yeah. That that's yeah, that's definitely Lyric. Or the Civic um, Opera House. So what else do you do other than opera? I know you do some more stuff. You wanna talk about that? Sure. Uh, as far as music goes. Which part of that do you want me to talk about? Like what do you want to talk well, about? You want to talk also, about music lessons? Uh, <laughs> no. No. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. I I teach voice and trumpet. And I have been known to teach beginner guitar off and on, but that's not really that's not really my wheelhouse <laughs> for the most part. Yeah. Do you feel like you're a good teacher? Because I remember that one time you handed me a ukulele and said it's fine just twang the chords. <laughs> and well, I feel like that wasn't a great lesson. One or both of you were drunk at the time. And you weren't paying me. (laughs) (laughs) And to be honest, you kind of can do that with a ukulele. Yeah. (laughs) These are all fair points. (laughs) Yeah. With a ukulele, it's it's pretty easy just to be like, oh, hey, if I push this string down here, it it makes a chord almost anywhere on the instrument. (laughs) Fair enough. There were also a lot of other people playing, so it wasn't a big deal. (laughs) He was like, here's something for you to do. And he patted you on the head and left. Here, Thomas, you That's play this not wrong, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I could have handed you like a bean shaker or a maraca or something, and that just said, "Go, idea. go to town, little buddy." <laughs> You're helping. Um, who's a good boy? <laughs> I do think I'm a good teacher. I, I don't think I'm the best teacher by any stretch of the imagination, but I think I'm I'm okay at least, especially for a beginner. How much uh, music theory and all that stuff did you do? Uh, you did that in school, right? I did. I did three years of various kinds of music theory. Um, and it kind of goes like you start off with, this is a triad. This is how you build a chord. This is a C major scale. This is what makes a minor scale a minor scale. And then you go all the way up through like modern composition. Like, uh, there's modern stuff is like 12 tone, which is, uh, you you literally randomly well, it's not exactly random, but you pick twelve notes, and those are the only twelve notes you can use in your piece, and you have to use them in order. So you make this big box of one hundred and forty four notes out of your twelve notes, and so you can go forward, backward, you can go up and down. It's it's an interesting way to compose. It does not turn out listenable music very often, in my opinion. Yeah. In my opinion. Uh, so I did a, a fair bit of that. I did choral arranging. I did orchestration, which is arranging for orchestra, uh, basically. Um, I did a lot of music history, a little bit of musicology. So I, I'm, I've done quite a bit. But I mean, not more than like anybody else who has been in a music program at a college. It's all pretty standard stuff. And then you also do uh, church chorus too, right? I do. I'm a choir director at a a Cumberland Presbyterian church here in Knoxville. Um, That's one of my many side gigs. Um, That's that's interesting because I've I've kind of I feel like I've kind of split the difference between what they teach you to do as an undergraduate in vocal music because they kind of teach you to either go and direct or go and perform. Mm And I've managed to kind of split the difference and do both. Um, I Which don't do you know. Think you like better. Yeah, there you go. I like performing better. 
Uh, it's not going to be as sustainable moving forward, though, uh, as as directing. Gotcha. And, and there's several reasons for that. Uh, one reason is as you get as I get as I get older, I want to be home more. Um, <laughs> so that's yeah, that's that a big happens. part of it. But also, as you as you get older, there are fewer and fewer roles, especially in opera and musical theater, for older folks. Uh, and that's it's it there there is a lot in there is a lot to say in opera about your looks you you cannot you you very possibly will not be hired for roles because you don't look the way that the casting director or the director of the opera company thinks that you should for that role would you so. say that opera people or opera roles have a, a much more distinct like profile as far as looks go than other musical theater. Like when you think of, I guess from a, from a person that doesn't know anything about opera, when you think of opera, you think of like, I honestly think of older big dudes and ladies with, uh, armor on their boobs and <laughs> their hair up. And the that's, Bugs that's Bunny about opera. it. Yeah. I, I think of the Bugs Bunny operas. <laughs> well, and that's, that's why you think of that. <laughs> and that, I, that sounded really condescending. I didn't mean for it to, <laughs> but that is that is why most people think that because uh, because of folks like Luciano Pavarotti, the, at, he was an old dude when we right. were yeah hearing him for the first time. Like he was already old, but when you're talking about people who are trying to who are doing this for a living in professional opera companies, you're going to see a large number of pretty people get those roles. Interesting. And I have never fit into the category of pretty people. So, <laughs> but, um, no, it, you don't have to condescend to me, Thomas. It's cool. <laughs> I'm not um, condescending. I'm patronizing. <laughs> There's a difference. Okay. You don't have to be patronizing then, Thomas. Uh, but, and, and that's fine. I mean, I know, I know what my limitations are. It is, I found that in Knoxville, it's a, the musical theater scene is a little more lax. If you have the chops to sing a role and the acting chops to perform it well, you're more likely to get a part than somebody who is pretty but can't actually do the role. Sure. Uh, and opera singers don't... And that's the thing with opera singers. There's always going to be those pretty opera singers that are going to get those roles because you don't become an opera singer without being able to do it. With yeah, it musical like theater... Yeah, out pretty quickly. Exactly. And with musical theater and, and you know, theater theater without the musical part, uh, a lot, th there, there's a lot of pretty people who do get those roles that can't do it, but it have, I feel like it, it happens less. And I think it's more of a meritocracy in, in Knoxville with musical theater than opera is maybe. But then again, there's hiring practices that have to be, adhered to and stuff like that. So I really don't know what the behind the scenes are with it. Hmm. Um, and Knoxville to... Opera, Knoxville Opera has a pretty diverse hiring policy. That's good. So, uh, I've been meaning to ask, and this is going to be like a, uh, a shift, but <laughs> why not? You don't speak Italian, right? No. Okay. So, I guess you just memorize the words, but do you know what you're singing? Do, do you like look it up in English first so that you know what you're singing? I do. Then, for the, okay. 
Yeah, I do for the most part. We learn we learn the the lyrics phonetically, um, right? And there's there's a, actually a an, a whole different alphabet for singers. It's called IPA. The I, th- I think it's called it's the International Phonetic Alphabet, and it's not just for singers, but we tend to use it a lot. And so we learn things by spelling it out in IPA and learning it phonetically. And I learn a lot of pronunciation and grammar mm-hmm. uh, because. Like, for example, uh, there are times in Italian when an S will sound like a Z instead of an S. And you kind of have, you kind of eventually get to understand when that happens and why that happens. Well, the famous Uh, is the CCH or CI. Yeah. One's key and one's chi. Chi, yeah. And double consonants have a little hitch in them. So, like, cacciatore, which is a stupidly stereotypical thing to say in Italian, but <laughs> there you go. Uh, it's it's an interesting language, but no, I, I don't know it to be fluent, um, but I usually it's... go and look up a translation and kind of write it into my part. Yeah. And that helps me memorize the words. If I know, if I know what I'm singing in, in English, it helps me memorize the Italian. Gotcha. So when you're performing, um, that's interesting because like, so when you go to to sing nonsense or hum something, you're basically just following a a musical pattern. But when you sing lyrics that you know, in our case in English, uh, it's a, it's a different thing. Would you say what you do in opera is kind of like an in between there, or do you actually think the word that that's coming up? Does that make sense? Do you know what I'm saying? I do. Like, I mean, for context, James is going through the process of learning Japanese, so. Like, if you've never really focused on learning another language, that might sound like a weird question, but it's it's not if you have. And and that that's what makes learning another language so hard is because you have to think in that language to really mm-hmm. be able to understand that language. Right. Uh, I can. I I've gotten to the point after several after twenty years of of doing of learning music phonetically and and learning. Uh, learning the translations as I go that I've gotten to the point now where I can sort of think in Italian. Yeah. Um, you know, there so you're are not words translating it at, uh, ad hoc when you're singing it, I guess is what I'm asking. No, 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 no. If I'm translating it as I'm going, it's because I did the translation ahead of time. Gotcha. Um, I don't know the language well enough to think in Italian as I'm reading it. Sure. For the first time. Um, uh, that that's a tough question because you you do kind of have to think in the language to effectively act right too and that's a big part of opera that you know i think people don't think about because old old school opera was go out on stage sing your part like you're in a concert you just happen to be dressed up for it in a in a costume <laughs> and then you leave the stage modern opera companies tend to be more interested in the drama right and that's- in, in all you ever saw of Pavarotti was literally just him standing there on stage yeah. doing his thing, <laughs> never moving, never doing anything else, and then leaving. <laughs> like well, he, might, the, he might wipe sweat from his brow every once in a while. That kind of sounds oh ideal, God. actually, as a gig. Well, and that's the thing. By the time that we knew who Pavarotti was, our generation knew who Pavarotti was, he was at the end of his career. He was yeah. the elder statesman. 
So it's just the it, guy that they wheeled out on stage yeah. for his voice. <laughs> no, nobody, nobody ever hired Pavarotti to actually be in an opera anymore. They hired him to come and sing all yeah. of the arias that he was famous for. Good point. Uh, but but modern opera companies hire people who are also good actors, and it. I feel like acting in an opera is twice as hard as acting in. Uh, well, acting in a, in an opera that is in a foreign language is twice as hard as acting in one that's your in your first language, because and again, all you, theater majors at Patrick at oh no Patrick on Twitter. You know what? I will fight you on this one. <laughs> if you if you want to have a go at me on that one, we'll go. Um, Does anybody you, do like direct English translations of opera, or would that be just? Uh, that would be just breaking a sacred tradition at this point. <clears throat> For the most part, most people feel like it's breaking a sacred tradition. Uh, but we get around it by having super titles projected above the stage. So there's a translation. Be, I don't know. That that right there is what... I think it's like... Was that cheating? No. I, I think that is what keeps a lot of people from enjoying opera. Because they're like, I don't know what they're going to say. I can't speak Italian. You know, I'm not going to go and listen to these people sing in Italian and not know what the hell's going on. I, part I, of the part of the trouble with that part part of the reason that they keep it in the language that it was written in is because not everything translates. Yeah. And and even if it does, the translation may not have the same number of syllables, it may not rhyme the same way. Sure. The meter might be different, so then the music doesn't match up with the meter of the words. Yeah, you definitely have to retranslate the music as well yeah uh and that and that's the thing like at that point is it the same opera if you've putzed around with the music enough that you've had to change melody and that would force changes in harmonic structure and rhythmic structure well, that is could it open the same up, melody that could open up new opportunities for people um you could go see the patrick minton uh transcription of of this opera or you could go see the you know the other person's transcription of the opera it'd be like more <laughs> Uh, more work, and that's why it doesn't happen. <laughs> they got to keep you out. Well, I mean that, uh, that's that's <laughs> interesting as an idea, and I, like where I go is, I mean, I know that Hamilton wasn't like a major departure from things that had been on Broadway before, but like, is operatic culture even compatible with the idea of a major disruption that might come through and kind of inform or change the way the art goes forward? Or is it really more of like a classical ideal that it has to be adhered to? It's the latter. Uh, it, it really is. You can, I think for the most part, you should look at opera as an art form that's trapped in amber that's been dug up from the Jurassic period. Um, <laughs> it's kind of amazing and yeah. beautiful and a wonderful thing, but we have the evolution of it already in musical theater. Can you think of any other art form that specifically doesn't evolve? I don't know that I can. I mean, well, do you have it, to go to something like it does evolve, Amateur? Or? Well, I mean, you know what I mean. It, but, it, mu but the art form is music, and music does evolve. Opera is one form of music. It's, it's like, uh, and opera has evolved. If you go back to the very earliest operas, they're unrecognizable from the stuff that was produced in the 19th century and the 20th century. 
it, and it's still evolving. So like Postcards from Morocco is a very modern one act opera. Um, but it's still recognizably opera. Yeah. I guess it's just the, um, it's just the constraint is what makes it an opera then. And I, but to me, operating within those constraints is kind of what makes it interesting. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's like um, tweeting back in the day. <laughs> you could say that, um, I mean, I guess if, if, if you're saying it has evolved, that does make sense because you could also say that like writing hasn't evolved because we're still using words, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's just, um, we were, I think Thomas and I were coming at it as a, uh, why is it still sticking to these constraints when really it's the constraints are, are what makes it what it is. Or yeah, how many of the constraints and- are critical to the core ideal? Like, a lot of systems have constraints, but a number of those constraints can be loosened or removed, and it'd still be the same system. But if Opera's already at the point where, like, it has the minimum number of constraints to still be Opera, that's kind of an in- interesting thing to think about. Well, and again, the constraints that people put on Opera are totally subjective. Like I said, I mean, there are some things that people will fight tooth and nail and fight to the death about like for example performing it in the original language as opposed to doing an english translation um but those constraints surrounding opera like the specific style constraints those are pretty subjective and i I look at les miserables again as a good example of that because it ticks all of the boxes for opera but 99 percent of people who are in the know about it are going to call it musical theater. They're not going to call it opera. What do you call it? Musical theater. All right. And it's not for me, confirmed. it's for me, it's stylistic. Uh, the music is, is much more modern Hollywood swelling orchestra than the almost minimalistic opera orchestra kind of stuff. And it had Hugh Jackman in it. So, I mean, the movie did have Hugh Jackman in it and he was the least egregious (laughs) of all of the singers they had in that movie. (laughs) Actually him and Anne Hathaway, they were not terrible. Russell Crowe, on the other hand, he not only was he awful, but he was performing the role that I want so badly to do in that musical. And I hate him for it because he was so bad. <laughs> well, uh, coming to the Patreon in 2020, the uh, Friends cast version of Les Miserables. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to be Val- I want to be Javert, so I'm claiming that now. Sorry, you have to audition for it. That's yeah, fine. We're making no promises. It's all <laughs> merit based here. Let's go. I'm ready. <laughs> Can you just be all the parts? Because that's kind of <laughs> um, what we need. It's either going to be all parts or just like soup boy number three. <laughs> We're not sure which. <laughs> then I'll do all the parts. I'll do it. I'll do it. And so when I have to do the, uh, it's going to be real, real weird when I have to do the Jean Valjean Javert duet. <laughs> we could do cuts. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, th- Unlike this podcast, we might edit that release. <laughs> What would oh, you say man. is the uh, your favorite thing about local Knoxville opera and what's your least favorite thing about local Knoxville opera or just any performing, performing arts? My, my favorite thing about performing, uh, in, performing in Knoxville is that the, the community is super. Is, I've never met anybody in, that performs in Knoxville regardless of, where, of how they do it, whether it's opera or musical theater or whether they're in a band. 
I have met very, very few people who are jackholes. Uh, the community is wonderful. The people are great. And it's it's really awesome to be a part of that. <laughs> and here comes your least favorite part. The one guy you met that's a jackal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that one dude address? that's a complete jackal. <laughs> uh, my least favorite part, honestly, is how little how little opera specifically is appreciated in Knoxville. Yeah. And I know that we're already doing a big ask by doing opera in the South to begin with. And Knoxville, Knoxville not even being the largest city in Tennessee, it's it's a big ask to have people come out for opera. And we have fairly large crowds. We sold out several shows in the last few years, which is great. But they used to do three performances of the operas. They, and before that, they did a week-long run of the operas, you know, Tuesday through Sunday. Seven shows, and it keeps getting pared down. So, like, they went from seven shows to three shows on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, from three shows to two shows on Friday and Sunday, and it wouldn't surprise me if, in another decade, it's down to one performance for each show, just because it, it takes so much money to to put on a production of anything. Yeah. And it's a big ask to get that in Knoxville. So, um, for... It, it, just in case anybody listens to this that aren't already our friends, which would blow me away, but if they're not, <laughs> sell sell people on going to an opera if if they don't have any opera experience or you know don't even really know like, like me and Thomas don't even really know what it is. <laughs> okay, well I want to use the the next the upcoming opera to do that uh, <laughs> because it is. If if Jerry Springer were an opera, it would be Cavalleria Rusticana. Uh, so when this when the when Cavalleria starts, it's a one act, so it's fairly short too. It's it's an hour and fifteen minutes as opposed to the three hours which most operas are. Um, the the main character, one of the main characters, Turidu, has returned from the military. And he's found out that his fiance Lola has married a guy that drives a cart for a living, Alfio, while Turido is away serving his country. So Turido comes home. Lola's married somebody else. For revenge, Turido goes and seduces this girl named Santuzza, a young woman in the village of about twenty people, who am I? And to to make Lola jealous even though she's married, and so he's going to be a homewrecker if, if his plan works. Well, sure enough, Lola is overcome by jealousy of Santuzza and Turidu and starts sleeping with Turidu, even though she's married. So then, of course, they're carrying on this affair through the majority of the opera, and Santuzza is now mad, super mad, because now Lola is with her man, even though he wasn't her man, and she goes and tells Alfio, the carter, the one that's married to Lola, that Lola and Turidu are doing it. And so then Alfio shows up, challenges Turidu to a duel. They go off to fight, and Alfio kills Turidu. And this all happens on Easter, by the way. Uh, so mo- a lot of this action happens around the church during Holy Week, uh, which is why we're performing it at the Sacred Heart Cathedral here in Knoxville. Um, in front of the church. Uh, so, 
I've decided that we should really be calling, we should really be selling this to our audience here in the South, and we should, one, James, I think we should do it in English. Oh. Uh, two, I think we should set it in a trailer park. <laughs> and three, we should call it <laughs> Chevrolet Rusticana. <laughs> And have a bunch of rusted out cars sitting there because it is, it's straight up, bitch, that's my man. Yeah. Like, there are several arias in this that's basically, bitch, that's my man, but in Italian, so it sounds <laughs> highfalutin and fancy. <laughs> Look, I mean, you're going to have to spice that up, too. I mean, that description, it's a little light on drama. Could you, like, throw in, I don't know, somebody going off to, oh, shit, there's already war. Uh, yeah, you know, like there's dying war, in a plane crash. There's a there's a a love tetrahedron. Get some politics in I there, guess. maybe. I don't know. I mean, you're, you're gonna have to make that more interesting. Uh, I don't. Honestly, there's not a lot of politics in a lot of operas, other than like court politics. <laughs> so like, uh, who gets stabbed by the king because yada yada yada. Uh, oh, but, not justices. No, no, no. Oh, no. right. Okay. Yeah. But but there's now no opera is complete without a body count. There is not a single opera that I know of where there's not at least one death and usually multiples. Um, and a lot of times it's executions or jealous lovers. In the example of Cavalleria Rusticana or I don't know tuberculosis in La Boheme, that's a good one. Yeah, mm, lots of people enough. die. <laughs> I am a fan of that. All right. Okay. I mean, lots of people die. There's lots of stuff like that that happens. Um, oh, and there's lots of drinking in this opera. I forgot about the drinking. So there's a whole there's a whole number in which we're singing uh, about vino spumagiante, the bubbling wine, and Turidu is getting all of us drunk on the town square in front of the cathedral when Alfio shows up to challenge him to the duel by biting him on the ear. <laughs> which I thought only happened in modern boxing matches. Yeah. But he bites him on the ear, and then they go off and fight. Um, I mean, that's a pretty good way to get someone to fight you, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, And th- then the opera ends when uh, a woman comes back on the stage and screams, they have murdered Turidu in Italian. So it sounds, you know, fancier. Um, Santuzza faints because turns out she was really actually in love with Turidu, and oh, no. So, so it is, it is Jerry Springer. Yeah. Maybe you could get the audience to just start chanting Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. <laughs> there we go. How many operas have audience participation? Because that might be a rich vein um, to tap. This one actually will. The audience is going to be surrounding us on, on three sides and the church is at our back, which is the only reason they're not going to be also surrounding us on that side too. Um, the audience in this case is actually going to be separating us from the orchestra by a fair bit. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. It it might be a train wreck. You might just want to come and see it be a complete train wreck. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> because we're doing something new. Like like with Tosca, nobody had ever really done that kind of thing before in the United States. Uh, so, and we weren't sure how it was going to turn out. And it turned out pretty great. Um but it could easily have been a huge train wreck and so could this which is to me part of the excitement of live theater it might be a train wreck that's true it might be it might be nascar when everybody 
slams into the walls. Or it could be like the best thing that you've <laughs> ever seen. Who knows? It could be amazing. Yeah. It it might be awesome. Yeah. Um, well, we'll have to see. Massive stress always produces either the best performances or the most glorious explosions. I mean, either way. And either way, it's going to be entertaining. <laughs> Damn <laughs> either way, it's So, you know, it's going to be a non-traditional staging of this uh, of this opera. I'll say it that way. Okay. Um, well, if that's the next thing you've got coming up, where can people go get tickets and learn more about the opera and stuff like that? Uh, for Cavalleria Rusticana, which is the next thing that Knoxville Opera has coming up, that's going to be Saturday and Sunday, May 4th and 5th. And you can get tickets and get more information about that at knoxvilleopera.com. Um, as well as, I don't know that they've announced next season's uh, operas yet, but that's where they'll be announced. Uh, and I'm also doing Bright Star this summer, which I'll start uh, rehearsals for that one week after we wrap Rusticana. Uh, and that will be the third weekend of July, and you can get tickets for that at thewordplayers.org. What should is there just like a general um here's live theater in Knoxville? Is there like a, a place that you can go to just see what's what's happening? Do you know? That is that's a that's a hard thing nowadays. It used to be the Metro Pulse. Yeah. Uh and now now I don't know I don't know what it was, what it huh. is, because there was there was a replacement for the Metro Pulse for a while, but it didn't last very long. Right. Uh so really Facebook Google. probably is the uh, yeah. Yeah. Google Live Theater Knoxville. Uh, there's a couple of Knoxville Theater Facebook groups. Uh, mostly, the most of the ones that I follow are specifically for auditions. Um, but there are a couple for like what's going on in Knoxville. So you might hit up Facebook. Those are probably the two best places. Okay. Well, um, Thomas, you got any other other questions that that are burning a hole in your throat? That's, that's not <laughs> a saying. Christ. Jeez, uh... <laughs> James. <laughs> Well, what? Yeah, all right. that's that's specifically right. terrifying for Thomas, me, dude. Do you right. <laughs> do you have any other questions that you'd like to know about opera or local music or anything like that? No, I don't think so. Let's uh, let's start putting a pin in this. Uh, let's go around the table and talk about what we're drinking tonight because we all are. Um, James, what have you got in your cup? Nothing now. <laughs> hey, Uh-oh. I bored him so much he drank the entire bottle. <laughs> no, I just had plenty of opportunity, which is a good thing. Um, I did have uh, whiskey and Coke. Nothing special. There we go. Uh, Patrick? I was drinking Glen Murray Port Cask. Scotch. There you go. The, uh, when we were on vacation last weekend, I happened to find some bullet that was bottled at cask strength, which I'd never seen in Tennessee. And it's very good. And very strong. So where where were you? Where can I find that? Highlands, North Carolina. Oh, I'm not going over there. <laughs> no, it's not worth. I it. ain't allowed North Carolina. <laughs> I ain't allowed North Carolina, especially if I come back with booze. There's should, a number of states that I have active warrants should, in. Maine, should we just roll this into a we tried? Is that South what's happening? <laughs> we're we're gonna just gonna do a slow fade into the play other the podcast. outro music. We go to the after show. <laughs> no, but. Uh, in all seriousness, Patrick, thanks for joining us. And thanks uh, for having me. Thanks yeah, for hollering at us. Yeah, thanks for hollering at us.
Media Production. Hoot, 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 ho